Ciao, this is Michael Horn, and welcome to the next edition of the Deluva Tasting Notes. I'm your personal sommelier for today, and in this episode, we're exploring the most popular Italian winemaking regions and the grape varietals grown there. I'll give you some of my current vino recommendations you can pick up at your local wine shop or online, uh, wines that really show off what these winemaking regions can do. Since there are so many great winemaking regions in Italy, I've broken this into a three-part series. In part one, I covered the northern Italian winemaking regions, and today we're covering central Italy. And in the next podcast, I'll cover the south. In each part, we'll explore distinctively Italian regional wines that you can easily find in wine shops and restaurants. This is a pretty opinionated list, and I'm sure some of you listening may know of other wines that you love and think should be included here. If you want to share your recommendations with the other listeners, please do. Just leave them in the comment section below or on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And don't worry about writing all of this down. You can find a transcript of this podcast in our Wine Journal blog on deluva.com. There you'll find all the links to locate the wines and the references that I mention here in this podcast. Okay, now on to central Italy, where the most popular tourist areas coincide with the most popular wines of Italy. Of course, we're talking mainly about wines from Bella Toscana, and there are a lot of them. Most are red wines, and that's what we're going to focus on today, with two regional wines in particular that you probably already know about. We'll then visit Tuscany's neighbor, Umbria, for another red wine, getting accolades these days, and then check out the wines most popular in Rome. Let's get started. When I say Chianti, what does that make you think of? You might be thinking about the Chianti of days gone by, the thin, acidic reds in bottles wrapped in a straw basket, served in an old-style Italian-American restaurant that dishes up huge plates of spaghetti. Well, Chianti had a well-earned reputation for being thin plonk for years, and that came from an era back in the 50s when producers were more interested in maximizing the number of bottles of wine they made instead of the quality of the wine. They literally flooded the market with cheap wine. All that started to change in the 70s, with a few bold producers reducing the yield of grapes in their vineyards and really focusing on making quality wines that show off what the Sangiovese grape can really do in central Tuscany. Today's Chianti wines are some of the most exciting and well-made wines in the world, and you really need to know about them. The Chianti wine region is pretty large, located mostly south of Florence, and has been broken up into individual subzones. The historic nucleus of Classic Chianti production is in the mountains due south of Florence, near the hill towns of Greve, Rada, Gaiole, and Castellina. And as you might imagine, it's a DOCG zone, and it's called Chianti Classico. There are other Chianti zones, like Chianti Colisanesi, Chianti Colli Arentini. They all produce nice wines, but most of the best Chianti wines are produced in the Chianti Classico zone. And that's where I recommend you focus when you're exploring Chianti wines. The Chianti Classico zone includes hundreds of great Chianti producers, and you could spend a lifetime tasting and learning about the unique winemaking styles of these producers. Some of the big names like Felsina, Castello di Ama, Barone Ricasole, and Rufino, they all win high scores from Antonio Galloni and Gambro Rosso Trebicchieri Awards year after year. You just cannot go wrong with these producers. Personally, I'm a big fan of Felsina and their Chianti Classico Reserva 2012 bottling. It's an outstanding value. It's 100% Sangiovese with a lot of ripe raspberries, bing cherries, and violets on the nose. And when you take a sip, you'll get all of this plus some hints of cranberry, a touch of smokiness from the aging barrels. 
It's really wonderful. And it's also a great value at around 25 bucks. It's something you can find throughout the U.S. in wine shops that have a good selection of Italian wines, or you can just buy it online. If you can't find the 2012, other vintages are also quite good, including 2010, 2011, and 2013. Just check out Deluva.com for some links to recommended wine shops. Moving south of the Chianti region is the first and perhaps the most famous Italian DOCG zone called Brunello di Montalcino. Montalcino is an ancient hill town where they've been producing big, powerful red wines for hundreds of years using the Brunello clone of the Sangiovese grape. Brunello translates loosely as nice little dark one, and the name was coined by the man who put Brunello on the map, Clementi Santi. The Brunello clone of the Sangiovese family is different from what's planted up in the Chianti region, and the soil, the microclimates, and the winemaking methods of Montalcino are dramatically different, all of which gives Brunello a distinctive style. Remember when I said that up in the Barolo region of Piemonte, there are both traditional Barolo producers and new school producers? Well, it's the same in the Brunello DOCG zone, with traditional Brunello winemakers producing big, age-worthy Brunello wines in a classic local style, competing with younger, aggressive Brunello producers, taking tradition to a new level with a more international style. These differing winemaking styles create a great deal of drama in the local Montalcino wine community, with hot tempers and fractious discussions, but Brunello wine lovers are the real winners of this competition. For the classic Brunello style, the big producer names include Biondi Santi, Licini, Castello Banfi, Soldera. There are dozens of them, each with a distinctive house style, influenced by the location of their vineyards around the Montalcino hilltown, yet they still have quite a bit in common. The traditional producers age their wines for three years or more in the large Slavonian oak casks called Boti Grandi, which are quite large and impressive, holding anywhere from 2,000 to 12,000 liters of wine. That's 10 to 60 times bigger than your classic French barrique wine barrel. When the oak casks are so large, there's less wood in contact with the wine during the aging process, and so the traditional Brunello wines can have less oak characteristics on the nose and the palate. That said, some Brunello winemakers like Soldera have been known to age their wines for 10 years or more in the Bolti, with very impressive results. Today you'll find very distinct differences between the classic and new school Brunello wine styles. Back in the late 80s, a few Brunello producers started experimenting with small French oak barrique and tonneau barrels for aging the wines. These new school producers like Ciro Pacenti, Uccelliera, and Castello di Neri felt that Brunello could be much more interesting with the prudent use of French oak. Today you'll find very distinct differences between the classic and new school Brunello wines. Classic wines were aged in large casks, often offer flavors of currants, red cherries, cinnamon, and cedar, while the new school bottlings take on richer flavors with vanilla and baking spices. So which Brunello style should you drink? Well, whatever pleases you most, of course. <laughs> I recommend you try both styles and see what excites you the most. For a classic producer, you can't go wrong with Licini and their Brunello wines from 2008, 2009, and 2010, and the 2011 looks promising as well. While the 2010 Licini Brunello is outstanding, it'll still run you over 60 bucks online. I'd consider buying the 2009 or the 2008 vintages, which are much more reasonably priced around $45. On the more modern side, I recommend you try one of my favorite Brunello producers, Ciro Pacenti. 
Winemaker Giancarlo Pacenti's 2011 Brunello will absolutely knock your socks off. Giancarlo is a brilliant producer, and his elegant Brunello 2011 really shows off his passion. Taste this wine, and you'll find layer upon layer of black cherries, blackberries, blueberries, leather, violets, baking spices. It really does go on and on. It's a little more expensive than the Licini, running about 70 bucks, but it's well worth the price. I've listed some places where you can find the Licini 2009 and Ciro Pacenti 2011 Brunello wines on Deluva.com. Give them a try. Okay, we've covered two of Tuscany's most famous wines. Now let's drop in next door to see what's happening in Umbria. Beginning over 700 years ago, just south of the Umbrian town of Perugia, Franciscan friars used a local indigenous grape to make raisins for use in religious rites. They named the grape Sagrantino, which kind of translates to sacred grape, and the friars used it to make a sweet, late-harvest wine that goes by the same name. Sagrantino was such an important grape and wine that the locals in the region created laws dating back to the 1600s, specifying exactly where and how the Sagrantino wine is made. Much of the production occurs around the town of Montefalco, which is just to the west of Assisi, and the wine is now named Sagrantino di Montefalco. While the classic Sagrantino was a sweet wine, since the mid-70s, Sagrantino has been made in a dry or secco style of wine. And these are the wines that put Sagrantino di Montefalco on the international wine map. Sagrantino di Montefalco is a deep, dark brooding wine with rich flavors of black plums, ripe cherries, and blackberries. It tends to have very high tannins and benefits from some aging. Sagrantino di Montefalco is, of course, a DOCG wine, and as such, the wine is required to see at least 30 months of aging, with 12 or more in wood. The wine goes perfectly with the food of the region, and Umbria is known for game meats like wild boar, roasted leg of lamb, and game birds like pheasant and squab, all of which are wonderful with Sagrantino di Montefalco. Production of Sagrantino di Montefalco is pretty limited, but you can find the wine here in the States. I recommend looking for a few of the famous producers, including Arnaldo Caprai, Col Petrone, and the passionate but very quirky producer Paolo Bea. Caprai makes some delicious Sagrantino di Montefalco wines, including his Colepiano entry-level DOCG wine. He's best known for his remarkable Venticinque Anni, which translates to 25 years, it's a specific release which is aged for over two years in French oak barrique, resulting in a rich, full-bodied, very powerful wine that can be enjoyed all by itself or paired with rich, fatty dishes like roasted lamb. Some of the producers in the region prefer to keep their use of French oak limited and instead keep with tradition and use the giant botti made of Slavonian oak to age their wines. One of the purists is Paolo Bea, and he is often quoted as saying, Nature should be observed, heard, understood and not dominated, and this really comes through in his wines. While Paolo makes some pretty amazing pasito or sweet wines, it's his dry Pagliaro wine that has become the classic benchmark of Sagrantino di Montefalco. I love this stuff. It bursts with a richness of black fruits, roasted fennel, dried herbal notes and spices, and a refined earthiness that really balances out the wine. As of this podcast, his 2007 vintage of Pagliaro is showing beautifully. Paolo's wines are not cheap, but if you can buy a few bottles to try, you won't be disappointed. Okay, so far I've just barely touched the plethora of wines you'll find in central Italy. It's a huge region, and there's so much more to explore. 
Let me give you two more wines you can find and enjoy, and they're both from the region of Lazio, which is home to the eternal city, Rome. The Romans drink a lot of wine. One of their favorites is Frascati Superiore, a simple white wine that can be slightly fizzy and remarkably refreshing, and it goes great with classic Roman dishes like spaghetti alla carbonara or alla gricia or cacio e pepe. Romans drink millions of bottles of this stuff every year, and because of that, not much frascati makes it to our American shores. You can still find some online, and it's actually rather cheap, usually 10 to 15 bucks a bottle. Just buy the most recent vintage. It's really meant to be enjoyed young. If you're hankering for a Roman red to go with grilled meats or a nice plate of bucatini alla amatriciana, then check out a delicious wine called Cesanese del Piglio. Cesanese is the grape, and the wine is produced around the medieval city of Piglio, about an hour's drive southeast of Rome. I love Cesanese. It has very bright flavor profiles of red cherries, crab apple, a touch of rhubarb, and some nice earthiness from the Piglio soil. It's a great value wine, usually running around 15 to 20 bucks, and it's easy to find Cesanese di Piglio online and in some specialty Italian wine shops. Okay, that's it for part two of our three-part series on Italy's best regional wines. I'd encourage you to head to your local wine shop and pick up a bottle or two of a good Chianti Classico, maybe shell out a few bucks for a 2010 Brunello, or go try the sacred Sagrantino wines from Montefalco. If you like red wines, you won't go wrong with the recommendations I've made. In our next episode of Daluva Tasting Notes, I'll take you on a tour of the most popular wines from southern Italy. We'll explore the whites and reds from around Naples in Campania, then head to the east coast of Italy for the hugely popular and super cheap Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. Then we'll take a jog down through Puglia to sample some Primitivo wine, and then finish the series in Sicily with grumbly red wines from Mount Etna, and delicious lighter whites and reds from around the island. Until then, this is Michael Horn with Deluva, and thanks for listening. Now go enjoy a nice glass of vino italiano. Ciao!